Greetings and welcome to this episode of Everybody's Business, a podcast produced by the National Entrepreneur Center in Orlando, Florida. My name is Jerry Ross and I'm your host and I'm also the president of the National Entrepreneur Center. Uh, Today's broadcast is engineered by Christian Petkoff, produced by Kevin Ross, and we have our in-studio sidekick, Rachel Matson. Say hello, Rachel. Hi, everyone. So how are you doing today? Doing great. It's not Tuesday, so I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Tuesday. Yes, it's not Tuesday. (laughs) So you don't mind Mondays? Nope, Mondays are fine. You get to buy everything you... You buy something on the weekend, you get to use it on Monday, so it's not too bad. <laughs> but Tuesday, it's still the beginning of the week, so. And you also have uh, the weekend to shop, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Who was it? Uh, an old time cartoon, probably way before your time, was Wimpy that would say, "I will gladly repay you on Tuesday for a hamburger today." And so, on Tuesday is when you got to pay up. Yeah, I feel it. Every Tuesday. <laughs> You're paying up. Yep. I'm getting a following though. People are seeing that Tuesdays are bad. It's, it's not just uh, today's, I've got a case of the Mondays. Now you've got nope. a case of the Tuesdays. I've transformed it. Well, then you're then you're to hump day. Yep. Hump day. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, enough of that. We're going to get to today's business topic of today. And that is referrals. Referrals are a way for you to ask someone to refer you to other potential clients that you might be able to sell to. And what that does is it shrinks the time and the the scope of your sales cycle. Because many times you start with people who might be interested in your product, and then you move to people that are qualified and interested to buy. And eventually you get to making a presentation to someone to sell them on your product or service. But if you have a referral, what that does is it moves you into someone that's probably qualified and interested to buy because they've been referred by someone who was qualified and interested to buy. Oh, wow. Because we hang out with people just like us, right? Right. That's why we like them so much. (laughs) (laughs) But those people know people who are in similar positions. And so when you've earned someone's trust to buy your product or your service, You've also earned the right to ask them for anyone that they might know who might also have an interest in buying your product or your service. The problem that most people have is they're too shy to ask. Guilty, guilty. (laughs) And so what I say is you've earned that right to ask if if you've earned their business. And so uh, you've got to build up your courage in order to ask because it's not embarrassing to ask for referrals. But if you don't ask for referrals and you don't stay in business, now that is embarrassing. (laughs) So you've got to step forward and ask for referrals, but most people do it in the wrong way. They will say, so Rachel, who do you know? And what's your first response? I want to hold back. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because you want to protect your friends. Right. And you say, I don't know anybody. And I go, really? You know no one? (laughs) No. Putting me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But if I was to say to you, you know, Rachel, I appreciate your business. So who do you go to school with that might also be interested? Who do you go to church with? Who do you play softball with that might be interested? What I've done is I've taken that global, who do you know, and made it a small pool of who do you know in this particular group? 
And that made your world a little more smaller and more manageable, right? Yeah, it helps prime. It does. Your and thought so processes. Did you have some people that popped into your head when I when I started naming off those groups? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thought about those different cohorts. Okay, so give me their names and numbers. I want to call them right now. <laughs> I see what you're doing now. <laughs> but that that is a way to to earn a relationship with a customer, but then also earn that relationship to connect with other people that they know who might be qualified and interested to buy your product or service. And when you can do that effectively, you shorten your sales cycle, and you also. Uh, use that relationship to, to establish a new relationship because we may have only been friends for, you know, eight or 10 minutes. But if I have a restaurant and said, you got to go check this out, you go, right? Oh yeah. I love food. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I give a referral, it's, it's a way for, for people that I know and respect and that I've bought from, uh, to share that confidence and that relationship with someone else. And that, that is invaluable when you're in the process of, of earning new relationships and new business and building your cast of customers. And that, my friends, is today's business topic of the day. Who do you play ball with? Who do you go to school with? Who do you go to church with? Who do you play cards with that might want to listen to everybody's business? So Rachel, that's my business topic of the day. Who's our next victim on everybody's business for our guest interview? We have John Deary, the president of the Center of American Entrepreneurship in Washington, D.C. Wow. So how do we mouthful. get that? <laughs> <laughs> John Deary is a friend of mine, and I respect him a lot. So stay tuned. Don't go away. You're going to like this. The Nash Entrepreneur Center has made it easy for you to learn business principles from anywhere at any time with NEC Online. As a supplement to all the great resources at the Nash Entrepreneur Center, you now have free access to over 300 learning modules that you can access at any time. Thanks to the generous sponsorship of Wells Fargo and our partnership with The Lonely Entrepreneur, you can access this powerful online learning platform for free. Learn on your own time and at your own pace. Access product reviews and participate in weekly group coaching opportunities. Right now, the only thing missing is you. So check out our online learning platform today at nationalec.org. That's nationalec.org. Did I mention it's free? It's Mr. John Deary. Let me give you an introduction. John Deary is the founder and president of the Center for American Entrepreneurship. He is the former acting CEO of the Financial Services Forum which is a financial and economic policy organization comprised of the chief executive officers of the largest financial institutions with operations in the U.S. From 2001 to 2015, he was the forum's executive vice president for policy, coordinating the group's policy agenda, which included financial supervision reform, the competitiveness of U.S. capital markets, free and fair trade, comprehensive tax reform, debt and deficit reduction, and accelerating economic growth and job creation. John spent nine years as the, at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, where he held positions in the banking studies, foreign exchange and policy, and analysis areas. He was appointed an officer of the bank in 1996 and is co-author of Where the Jobs Are, Entrepreneurship and the Soul of the American Economy, which, by the way, is on my bookshelf. And so in living color right here, John, 
Uh, John's writing has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Financial Times, the Hill, Politico, American Banker, USA Today, and China's Kaijing Magazine. Thank you for being here, John, and uh, and thank you for for what you're doing with the Center for American Entrepreneurship. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the center and, and what you're doing there? Sure. Uh, uh, and thank you again. And by the way, I should m mention that uh, for the book that Jerry mentioned, uh, Where the Jobs Are, uh, it was in that context um, that I first met you, Jerry. Uh, as you'll recall, the book was based on a number of roundtables that I and another colleague conducted around the country well, with entrepreneurs to try to identify the barriers and challenges that they face and deal with. Uh, and among the very first that we did was in Orlando at the at the National Entrepreneur uh, Center, and um, and you participated in that roundtable and are quoted about three times in the book. So um, <laughs> that's right. That's how our relationship began. And then after I decided uh, to uh, organize the Center for American Entrepreneurship, I reached out to Jerry to be on our board, and he very graciously agreed. Um, uh, but that's a great segue uh, uh, to CAE. So it was. Um, uh, it was by way of that book that I and those roundtables that I first uh, got hip to uh, the importance of startups and entrepreneurship to things like economic growth, job creation, opportunity expansion, and the sad reality that um, entrepreneurship in America uh, at, uh, has, uh, has been in decline for a number of years, both in, in absolute terms and uh, in terms of the number of new businesses launched every year, uh, but more importantly and more profoundly, uh, new businesses uh, as a share or as a proportion of all businesses in the United States. That, that figure, that ratio has been in decline for four decades. So John, John, uh, let's, let's dive into that just a little bit. You know, we hear small business is the backbone of America and small businesses are, are what drives America. And yet you're saying that, that it's declining. Can you, can you go into that and explain that a bit? Sure. Small business uh, definitely is the backbone of the American economy. It's even more than the backbone. Uh, uh, the U.S. economy, which is you know the world's mightiest economy, is a small business economy. 99% uh, of all businesses in the United States have fewer than 500 employees. And a lot of people, when you say that, think, well, that's not that small. Well, 80% of all the businesses in the U.S. economy have fewer than 20 employees. Uh, so the United States economy is very much a small business economy, but there is a distinction both in economic terms and in terms of the, the role that they play in the economy between new and existing small businesses. Um, new be being defined a couple of different ways, depending on who you're talking to. The, generally, the two categories you hear are less than five years old. Some people will actually... Uh, truncate that uh, uh, duration to less than one year old, true startups. Um, of course, most startups go on to be the next uh, generation of small businesses. Um, right. But a few of each cohort of new businesses launched every year go on to grow both in terms of job creation and revenue very, very quickly. Um, they're the next Google, the next, uh, the next Apple, the next uh, uh, Microsoft. And um, all of those firms, both the ones that go on to become small businesses, but also the ones that grow very fast, play a very important role in the economy from the standpoint of being the principal source of innovation, 
in the economy and the economics behind that is we know from the great work of an economist named Robert Solo, who won the Nobel Prize for this uh, insight. Innovation is the driving force of gains in productivity, which in turn drives economic growth and job creation. So, so small John, businesses and new businesses are both incredibly important uh, to the U.S. economy. Well, I've heard a, a couple of sayings that, that go into that. And one is that every big business started as a small one. And the other is that as we have support for these small businesses that are startup and we move them into the next phase of growth, that's where we get an exponential increase in jobs. And so in Florida, about uh, 83% of the businesses headquartered in Florida have less than 10 employees. And they produce about 38% of the jobs and about 14% of the businesses have between 10 and 100. So about 98% have less than 100. But that top 14% produces about 33% of the jobs in Florida. So anything we can do to take one of those startup businesses and, and move them into the next phase of being an existing small business, we get an exponential increase in jobs. And the reason why the work that you do there at the National Entrepreneur Center is so important, Jerry, is that, as you know, about half of new businesses fail before their fifth anniversary. So as you just said, the more new businesses that we can bring into the established small business realm, uh, that's where the real action is from the standpoint of innovation, economic growth, and job creation. Okay, so we've talked a lot of numbers and we've talked a lot of definitions now, but you're saying that small business and entrepreneurship is declining. So how do you get from, they're the backbone of America and 98% to, we've seen a decline. Um, I, I, uh, I should have specified that it's new businesses or startups that are in decline. Um, and, and why is that? Well, that is exactly the question that I put to the economists who, when, when I first uh, learned about this, and there have been a lot of economic uh, research uh, conducted starting in about 2009 and over the next uh, several years by a number of economists around the country, uh, folks at the Kauffman Foundation and folks at a number of universities around the country. When I found out about this, I put that very question to them uh, and they said, we don't know. Uh, we have certain theories, thir uh, certain suspicions, but fundamentally we don't understand it. And it was to answer that question that I set out on that series of roundtables, among the, uh, the earliest of which was with you at the NEC. And what we came away with after 12 uh, roundtables around the United States is a number of reasons. Um, uh, uh, if you think about what uh, new businesses need to thrive or what entrepreneurs need to thrive. They need great new ideas. They True. need the capital and the talent to pursue those ideas True. With, as, with as few unnecessary or stupid distractions as possible. And in, those, in that category, <laughs> I would put things like uh, regulatory burdens and challenges and tax burdens and challenges. And there are challenges and problems in each of those five categories in terms of commercialization of innovation, access to uh, properly skilled talent, and that is that has both a, a domestic counterpart in terms of the skills gap that you hear so much about, as well as immigration policy. Uh, access to capital has all kinds of issues associated with, with it, uh, from access to bank capital to access to angel capital, venture capital, and then, of course, there's lots of regulatory and tax issues. So all of those issue areas uh, comprise 
uh, the agenda of the Center for American Entrepreneurship. And our job, as you said, is to work with policymakers to uh, uh, dismantle those barriers and challenges to entrepreneurs. So, so that's what I was going to say. Now that we know all that, so how do we fix it? Uh, well, how we fix it is we have a very detailed uh, policy agenda with lots of specific ideas as to, uh, you know, first of all, identifying all the relevant issues. Um, and I should say that part of the way that we continue to identify that those issues is we continue to do roundtables around the United States with entrepreneurs. It's very important, especially if you're uh, in the Washington, D.C. area, it's very easy to get um, uh, to fall into the inside the bubble thinking and think you know everything. You bet. It's very important to get out of Washington um, and to uh, and to continue to talk with, with entrepreneurs uh, around the country to make sure that you're staying in touch with them. The National Entrepreneur Center in Orlando, Florida has been around since 2003 and today is home to 14 business support organizations who have a single mission to help you grow your business. Through free business coaching, low-cost training, and valuable business connections, these 14 business support organizations assist thousands of entrepreneurs each year in starting, growing, and scaling their businesses. So why not visit the website at nationalec.org today or give us a call at 407-420-4848 to discover how you might take your business to the next level. And by the way, the National Entrepreneur Center is funded entirely through local sponsors, which include Florida Blue, Fifth Third Bank, the Orlando Magic, and Seacoast Bank, just to name a few. So let's get connected today and get growing. Check out our website at nationalec.org. Tell me about some of the policy issues that the uh, Center for American Entrepreneurship is working on. So, um, the specific issue areas that we happen to be engaged at at any particular moment um, is determined by, uh, 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 you know, first of all, our bandwidth, but more importantly, where the interest is among policymakers, particularly on Capitol Hill. So a very large part of our job, in addition to staying in close touch with entrepreneurs uh, that we do by way of roundtables around the country that we do on a regular basis, we stay in very close touch with our contacts and our relationships, the key mem uh, members of Congress, uh, the key committees on the Hill, and the key, very important, key staff people who work for those committees and members of Congress to have a good understanding as to where their interest lies. Um, uh, and, we, and we tend to gauge or focus our activities to meet their interests and, and, and try to move our agenda forward when opportunity presents itself. But we are engaged on issues having to do with uh, tech transfer and commercialization, uh, commercializing uh, the innovations that federal funding is generating. Uh, and so that federal funding is generating that through universities, through national institutes of health. So it's taxpayer uh, research that we're saying, what are the commercial applications for that? Correct? That's right. And there's a very long history of the government involvement with the innovation and entrepreneurship economy. Many, many, many technologies that we now regard as, you know, as um, staples of our, our daily lives, including the internet, as you know, uh, sprung from federally funded innovation. And so it's very important for those, for, uh, for that innovation to be uh, uh, commercialized, turned into businesses that are the mechanism for getting those innovations out into the economy. And there are a number of problems with that process that we're, we're working on fixing. Uh, we're working on fixing um, uh, issues of education, um, 
the skills gap, uh, workforce readiness, uh, immigration policy, uh, lots of access to capital issues, angel capital, venture capital, access to bank capital, other sorts of uh, sources of capital, and then uh, reducing and uh, uh, streamlining the uh, uh, regulatory burden uh, complexity and uncertainty. And then there are a number of aspects of the tax code uh, that are uh, either hostile to or, or actually punish uh, new businesses and those who invest in them. They're at an extreme uh, disadvantage to uh, existing post-revenue uh, businesses. Um, and we are trying to pick off and dismantle uh, each of those uh, tax-related uh, disadvantages. Um, in fact, we uh, have been uh, working in recent weeks on a tax-related bill with the National Venture Capital Association, the Angel Capital Association, BIO, a number of innovation uh, organizations here in Washington to try to get badly needed capital to start up struggling in the COVID crisis by enabling them to um, monetize the tax assets on their balance sheets. And this is, is referring uh, principally to things like net operating losses and R&D tax credits that if you're pre-revenue startup you don't have access to. And so we're, we, a, a bill was just introduced by Dean Phillips uh, from Minnesota and, um, and Jackie Walorski, a Republican from Indiana, to change the tax code to benefit startups to get them the capital that they need. So lots of people have heard about the CARES Act and the Paycheck Protection Program. Is, is this uh, CAE's approach to dealing with some of the COVID uh, crisis and, and response to that on the policy level? Uh, uh, PPP was certainly, is certainly a, a very important part of the policy response, particularly for existing small businesses, um, which are getting hammered, of course, as we all know. Um, uh, the PPP program was not perfect. Uh, Any time that you uh, uh, formulate uh, a debate and enact uh, a, a large piece of legislation very quickly, as we did with the CARES Act, uh, there inevitably are going to be uh, mistakes made and problems made. And we have been very active since the passage of CARES and PPP to try to troubleshoot a number of those problems that uh, businesses were having with accessing those funds. Um, two immediate problems just right off the top of your head. If you look at the basic design of PPP, uh, it was a program that, that was administered by the SBA. Anybody who's had any dealings with the SBA knows that the SBA's capacities are, are limited. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, all of the uh, loans were extended by way of the banking system. They, were, they didn't come directly uh, from the government. And there were, the, uh, the banking system, I think, did a very, very good job uh, uh, at, uh, at, at getting capital out as quickly as they could. But inevitably, there were you know, bottlenecks and accusations of favoritism and other uh, definitional and uh, procedural problems with PPP. And we've been very actively involved uh, with other organizations working with Senator Rubio's uh, staff. As you may know, the senator from Florida is the chairman of the Senate uh, Small Business and Entrepreneurship uh, Committee, which was had the principal authority for PPP. And so it was Senator Rubio's staff who was so key um, in standing up PPP and then uh, dealing with all these problems. But there have been uh, a number of reasons why PPP was really not a great fit for startups, for new businesses. Um, and so we have been pursuing, even as we've tried to troubleshoot uh, PPP, uh, we've also been uh, uh, pursuing alternatives 
uh, to PPP, like for example, that tax ID I was just telling you about to monetize the tax assets on startups balance sheets to get them capital in a different way. Uh, there's also um, uh, a bill that we worked uh, for a long time with Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, who happens to be the, uh, uh, the Democratic co-chair of the Senate Entrepreneurship Caucus, uh, which CAE helped establish last year, that would um, encourage greater ve uh, venture capital investment in new businesses, particularly outside of the three major venture capital centers of Silicon Valley, Boston, and New York City. Those three cities account for 75 to 80% of venture capital in this country. We, we needed a program to diversify the availability of that uh, critical source of capital, particularly after COVID. Uh, and that bill uh, that was uh, introduced in the Senate in, and the House in March is called the New Business Preservation Act. The purpose of which is to preserve new businesses by incentivizing a continuation of venture capital investment by offering a one-to-one -one match for every dollar, private dollar of venture capital invested in new businesses will be matched with a dollar of uh, a federal tax dollar. That has the effect of dropping the hurdle rate uh, for the investors in half, opening up the aperture of potential returns, uh, and we think will be a very, very important uh, piece of legislation, uh, the aim of which is to preserve the uh, current generation of new businesses, which are imperiled by the COVID emergency. And so that's a, a piece of legislation that's alive and, and working its way through uh, the House and the Senate. That's correct. Okay. Well, as a board member of CAE, I've been impressed with uh, the folks that you've engaged to visit and, and talk about uh, policy on the Hill uh, and SEC uh, commissioners who have come to talk about how we we get more venture capital into the markets. Uh, but I think one of your crowning achievements was helping to set up that entrepreneurship caucus in the House and the Senate. Uh, so while that goes under the radar, uh, I, I do think that that was one of the big achievements of the CAE and, and mostly due to your efforts. So thank you. Thank you for representing the small businesses out there to make that happen. Of course. So uh, let me take you down a whole list of questions that we have. Uh, I don't want to let you go until we really tap into the things that you're doing. Uh, so how can people connect with you and CAE? Uh, can they support you? Uh, can they support those, those legislators that are working for uh, good policy and, and entrepreneurship? So how do they learn more about what you're doing in Washington for small businesses? The, the best way to learn more about CAE uh, uh, would be to go to our website. There's all kinds of information about our leadership, including Jerry Ross, um, uh, our board and our advisory council. We are incredibly fortunate to have an, a, a remarkable array of entrepreneurial talent and expertise on our board and advisory council. Our policy agenda is there. Uh, uh, we do a lot of writing. Uh, we are a research policy and advocacy organization. So, the, so we do uh, research reports on various aspects of entrepreneurship, lots of op-eds and blog posts on, on, on various topics pertaining to policy. All of that stuff is on our website. Um, and um, of course, following us on social media, our, uh, on Twitter, we are, well, our website is startupsusa.org. Our Twitter handle is very similar. Uh, it's startupsusa 
O-R-G, just no dot between uh, USA and O-R-G. Uh, the Center for American Entrepreneurship is also active on LinkedIn, and so you can follow us there as well. Uh, in terms of supporting CAE, yes, we, uh, we, we, we certainly would appreciate that. Uh, COVID has, um, has really made the funding for nonprofits, including CAE, uh, uh, more difficult. The foundations are pulling back, uh, primarily because they're concerned that uh, their grantees will not be able to perform on their grants. Um, everybody is sort of has turned very conservative uh, in terms of corporate funding and individual funding. So a great way uh, to, uh, to uh, support CAE is to join uh, what we call Team 500. Uh, and you can, if you just go to our website right on the homepage, that there's a link to Team 500. Uh, we're hoping to be able to convince 500 people to give us $500, hence the term Team 500. Um, it's tax deductible and you'll be supporting really important work that, that supports small business and new business uh, that you know have become especially important now in the in the wake of COVID and all all of the damage uh, uh, to you know in the economy broadly uh, to economic growth and to job creation all of the policies that we work with policymakers on are vital to the post-COVID uh, economic uh, recovery but in order to do that work we have to survive that's correct the UCF Small Business Development Center offers a variety of valuable business services to companies throughout Central Florida who are poised for growth. From free business coaching and low-cost seminars to advisory boards and international trade assistance, the SBDC has been producing meaningful and measurable results for their clients for the last 20 years. You owe it to yourself to visit the SBDC and start growing your business. Now, here is your host, Jerry Ross. Uh, you mentioned COVID. So what I'd like to do is take you down a line of questioning about COVID in general. So what are your thoughts on the whole COVID experience? Just the world according to John Deary. Yeah, it has been, um, uh, well, uh, uh, economically, it's been devastating. Um, and let me just put a few uh, numbers to that because they're, they're just astonishing. Just last week, uh, the Federal Reserve uh, put out a, uh, a a paper. Actually, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, my former employer, uh, put out a paper uh, showing that between February and April of this past year, so we're talking a two-month period between February and April, 22%, almost a quarter of all small businesses in the United States shuttered. As as alarming as that is, the racial uh, components or structure of that decline are are unbelievable. 17% of white-owned businesses shuttered. 26% of Asian-owned uh, businesses closed. 32%, so a third of Hispanic-owned businesses closed permanently. 41% of African-American-owned businesses in the United States closed for good in two months. It's more than 400,000 Black-owned small businesses closed uh, for good. There is only one way to characterize that. That is a national catastrophe. Um, uh, the, this is why the need for Congress to act again, uh, to pass the so-called CARES for an extension of all of the support for both households and businesses is so vital. That support from CARES that you talked about has been suspended uh, and businesses are closing every single day. 
Um, and there are other aspects uh, of this that, that are incredibly alarming in terms of the suspension, for example, of eviction uh, notices. Um, millions and mi millions of American households are behind on their rent and their, and their mortgage payments. And if that eviction uh, uh, suspension is not extended, uh, millions of people are going to be homeless. Um, so we are in, and then of course, everybody knows the drop off in economic activity. Economic activity dropped by a third in the second quarter. Uh, simply stated, the United, States have, uh, the United States has never been in an economic emergency more severe than the one that we're in now. Um, and it is going to take a concerted effort on the part of the business community, uh, Congress, and, and states and, and cities and localities uh, to all work together to, uh, uh, to get us out of this. And at the moment, all those pieces are not effectively uh, working together. And so we really need to bear down um, and do the hard work that is necessary to move the country forward. And so if you were president today, what would you do to make that happen? Well, I, I, I will say, and you know, CAE is a nonpartisan organization and we're very uh, careful and strict about that. We will work with anybody on behalf, and we do work with both Republicans and Democrats on behalf of new and small businesses. Um, I do have to say, and I'm not going to get specific in terms of blame because I think there's a lot of blame to go around, uh, that it is, it is frankly a national disgrace um, that uh, the United States of America, with all of our, our technological advantages and the advantages of our political system and our economy, is literally the worst performing country on the face of the earth uh, in terms of its response to COVID. It did not have to be this way. If you look around the world where other countries who were very hard hit, where they're at in terms of their economies and societies opening up, it didn't have to be this way. Uh, it, it was this way because, frankly, uh, we lacked a national plan. This is a national emergency, and we needed a national plan. It is not enough for the states and localities to be told to do their own thing uh, because you get a patch quilt of all different kinds of approaches, uh, and it obviously has, hasn't worked. So if I were president and asking your, and answering your question, if I were president, uh, I would pull together all 50 governors and hundreds of mayors, and I would come up with a national, one unified, single science-based uh, plan, and I would go on national television, and I would give a speech of the sort that presidents give when we are on a war footing, and I would rally the American people to pull together and beat this enemy. That's, that's what, where we're at, and that's what we need. And with the division in the country that you see today, do you think that's possible? I mean, are... so I, yes, yeah, so I do think it's possible. I think, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting. The, uh, the American people, I mean, this is my opinion. Yeah, you're president. <laughs> uh, 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 the American people are, by nature, were not great instinctively at national or collective efforts. We're very independent. We're very independent. That's exactly right. We're very independent. Our, our national identity is self-sufficiency and get up and go and chart your own way. And that has served us very well. That, that's the basis of this country's entrepreneurial uh, history. That's right. That's right. In order to do great things like defeat the Nazis, like defeat communism, like split the atom, like put a man on the moon, these types of tremendous achievements that the American people are, are absolutely, obviously capable of, it's the, it's the story of our history, requires great leadership 
by our national uh, leaders to call to awaken the American community spirit, to call us away from that entrepreneurial individuality, to focus and to be committed to a collective goal, a national goal and objective. Um, when we have the, uh, the leadership that appeals to that sense in all of us, and it's there, but it has to be called. Um, and that requires leadership. And that's, uh, I'm afraid, is what has been uh, uh, missing since this crisis emerged in January, in my opinion. So what good came out of this crisis? Uh, well, I hope we, I, we have all been taught a very hard lesson about w what I just articulated, about that uh, when we're faced with great national crises, we all need to come together to put aside uh, our individual um, uh, 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 desires and priorities and focus on the collective good. Um, I hope we have also, and I think the country has, is emerging, uh, just beginning uh, uh, to emerge from a very, um, a broken, a broken down and very tribal political system. I think that there is a sense of exhaustion in the country with a political system that uh, it had amounts to blood sport, where the only objective is to draw blood from the other side. I think the American people are, are, uh, are in the mood for and are desiring of getting back to the national greatness that we all like to think of ourselves as and achieving great things, whether that is uh, uh, defeating COVID or whether it's building infrastructure, bridges, highways, tunnels that we can all be proud of, uh, whether it's uh, uh, solving our problems of education, healthcare, you know, these big national problems. I think the American people are in the mood uh, uh, to get back what being American is all about uh, and, and are, you know, are, are tired of the way th uh, things have been going. And by the way, I'm not just talking about the last three or four years. I'm talking about the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Uh, the country has moved away from, I think, a sense of of, of national and collective achievement, and we need to get back to that. And I think, I as, think there's an appetite for it. As my mom used to say, we need less politicians and more statesmen. That's, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. As we go through this year of the pandemic, many of us thought that would only be maybe a few weeks, maybe a month. But now that it's gone on for months, people are realizing that maybe we're not going to be doing business the way we used to. Maybe business has changed forever. Whole workforces have pivoted to working from home. Schools closed, businesses closed, live events canceled. COVID-19 has pretty much turned our daily lives upside down. Dealing with a global pandemic has also made us rethink how we do everything. Schooling our children to serving customers, it's difficult. Any kind of change is difficult. But when you add to that all the uncertainty that comes with an unpredictable virus, a virus that could be fatal, it's no wonder that folks are feeling a bit stressed these days. So if you are feeling stressed right now, it's okay. You're normal. What you need to know is that you're not alone. Most everybody today is feeling the stress of the situation. Maybe in different ways, maybe with different circumstances, but believe me, everyone has been affected. It's okay not to be okay right now. You are allowed to take time for you to regroup and to recharge. I think there are some aspects of what we found from working remote that are good, that we've learned to use different technology, 
we've learned new ways to stay in contact with each other and with our clients. And I think even when things do get back to normal, whatever normal may be, that we'll find that some of these aspects of technology and video conferencing, online learning, all of those things will be carried forward into the new way of doing business. Remember, in times of chaos, there is always an opportunity. Let's uh, change track here and talk about your life journey. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in um, Stone Mountain, Georgia, uh, which is about uh, uh, 20 miles east of Atlanta, Georgia. Sure. And what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, you know, I, I, I really don't know. I, I never really had a, a good sense of what I, want, what I wanted to do. I can tell you I never uh, thought that I'm going to go into public policy. I'm going to, uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, 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 go work for, uh, for the Federal Reserve Bank of That's New York right. and then start a, an, you know, an entrepreneurship organization. So, Like a throwback to Alex Keaton. Yeah, sort of, sort of, <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to go into public policy when I grow up. Uh, so did you have any hobbies, interests, activities that you were involved in? Um, I was a, a, an athlete in high school, um, uh, primarily because um, uh, growing up in Georgia, if you were an able-bodied male uh, with any social aspirations at all, you had to play football. Uh, it was just it was just this culture and the religion uh, in Georgia. So I did. I played football, played soccer. I ran track. Uh, I was a good student, uh, primarily because my father demanded it. Um, uh, he wouldn't let me. Uh, play football, soccer, or run track unless I came home with good grades. And he uh, m more than once uh, pulled me off of those teams when I came home with a B. Um, uh, and so from there, I was uh, uh, based on on my good performance academically. I, I was fortunate enough to go to the University of Notre Dame um, in South Bend, Indiana. Um, I then went, uh, started my career uh, in New York City. Uh, uh, where I, uh, I, first of all, I went to graduate school at Columbia and then I went to the New York Fed. Great. So how did you like New York City? I loved it. Um, uh, if, if, um, if any young person out there who is listening ever has the chance uh, to live in New York City uh, at some point, especially in their youth, I recommend it highly. It is, um, it is one of the great cities of the world, of course. Um, uh, many would argue it's, it's, it's perhaps the greatest city in the world. Um, How do you like Washington? Washington is a is a <laughs> different animal, isn't it? It's a different animal altogether. Uh, but um, it has it has you know of course all the well known problems. But it's the system we got. You know, it's it's uh, it is it is a great city in its own uh, right. Um, and the political process, for all of its uh, imperfections and all of its frustrations, um, does have a majesty about it. Um, I still believe it is, it is as Winston Churchill said, uh, uh, democracy is the worst form of government ever invented, except for all the rest. Um, and that's a great way of it, that's a great way of putting it. Um, it is uh, it's imperfect. It's flawed. Um, it reflects all of the imperfections and flaws of human beings who who uh, who put it together, and yet, in so many ways, it is it is resplendent with the uh, uh, the insights and uh, and wisdom of the founders, and the day to day application of the, of that great framework um, is is majestic uh, in many ways. And so, it's a real uh, privilege and honor to 
work on behalf of entrepreneurs uh, within that system, and uh, I enjoy it very much. Well, and you you do it very well. So I'm 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 going to school on you. I'm learning how you uh, have uh, been able to work within the system to to make changes. Because if you're not at the table, you're not in the conversation. And as they say, if you're not on the, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's that's that and, and and that's something you know I'd like to uh, point this out to your uh, listeners if I could um, as Steve case pointed out in his great book of a couple of years ago the third wave uh, you know he broke the uh, the uh, uh, the the entrepreneurship age, the modern entrepreneurship age, into three waves or three stages. The first of which was uh, the very beginnings of the entre- of, of the internet. There it is. Um, the uh, the second stage w- was the building of businesses on that platform of the internet, and the third uh, wave is going to be um, uh, uh, the, the real uh, collision, if you will, as entrepreneurship and innovation accelerates. Uh, faster and faster and faster, the real uh, collision of innovation with uh, previously existing, pardon my phone, uh, previously existing, you know, sort of business and political incumbents. And one of the points he makes in the book is that in the first two waves of internet entrepreneurship, entrepreneurs could afford, they could get away with ignoring government and public policy. Their view of politicians and policy makers was all they do is cause me trouble. I just want them to stay out of my hair and out of my way. In the third wave of internet entrepreneurship, uh, both entrepreneurs and policymakers are going to have to deal with each other, are going to have to understand, and it's a completely different mindset, as you know. Uh, the innovation and entrepreneurship world is very, you know, breakdown barriers, fast, fast, fast speed innovation, uh, whereas uh, policy and politics is deliberative by design. Um, and they, it, and uh, uh, that is part of the reason why we started CAE is to play the intermediary to serve as the liaison, if you will, between entrepreneurs and policymakers. That's why it's so important, as you pointed out, that we established the first ever House and Senate Entrepreneurship Caucuses, uh, which are informal but very important part of the policy ma- uh, uh, making uh, machinery on the Hill. Uh, and um, so I would encourage your listeners uh, to uh, get active and to get, you know, to start paying attention to and get active in public policy. A great w- w- way of doing that is paying attention to CAE and supporting CAE. Uh, but there are other ways uh, uh, communicating with your, your congressmen and your senators, uh, following them and their activities on their w- websites as they as they uh, engage in policies that, that, that have implications for your business, your startup, uh, and your employees, and your future. Um, uh, so w- w- uh, we're at the dawn of an age when there is going to need to be much greater understanding, learning, interaction, and working together of policymakers and entrepreneurs. And that's why what you do at, N- at, at NEC is so important as well. So, John, did you have any mentors growing up that put you on the right path or pulled you off the wrong one? Uh, yes, uh, like most uh, folks. Well, I was very fortunate. I had um, I had a couple of um, uh, of, of terrific uh, teachers, especially in high school, uh, who took an interest in me um, and uh, took me under their wing or grabbed me by the scruff of the hair when, when they uh, uh, needed to and. Um, uh, and played a, a major role in directing me through uh, uh, my formative years. I was also you know, very fortunate, I must say. I have, I have, I have a wonderful dad. Um, 
I'm the oldest of four sons, and my father uh, set the uh, standards for um, uh, expectations, um, and his expectations for us were very high, uh, both in terms of performance and in terms of, um, uh, of learning how to be good people. Uh, and um, uh, I have benefited my um, whole life from uh, his guidance and his instruction, and still do. That's, that's great to hear. Uh, much the same. Teachers and, and family uh, had big influence on me as well. And uh, they have a way of keeping you in line sometimes just with a look. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, couple of closing questions. Sure. If you could have a conversation in history with anyone, who would that be and what would you talk about? My goodness. Um, um, hard to pick one person. Um, uh, 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 given the work that I do, uh, obviously it, it would be an enormous uh, privilege and thrill to speak to somebody like Steve Jobs. Um, um, I have also, but I'm also, you know, very interested and have been from a very, uh, very uh, young age, have been very interested in public policy and leadership at the national uh, level and how important it is. Um, uh, I would love to talk to um, I'd love to, I mean, I'd love to have a conversation with Abraham Lincoln. I'd love to have a conversation with John Kennedy. Um, uh, have a cigar with Winston Churchill. Yeah. I mean, these, these, I'm, I'm a fan of, um, uh, of great historical films and historical books, how uh, leaders led their, their, their nations or corporations or whatever organization they led. Uh, through great challenges. That's the kind of stuff that gets me excited and charged up. Um, so, you know, folks of that sort, I would love to have dinner or lunch with. Sure. So what keeps you up at night? What worries you? Uh, the main thing that keep, keeps me up at night is funding of CAE. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain. I feel your pain. I think anyone, in, anyone involved in the nonprofit uh, business, that anxiety just goes with, with the territory. No, I'm, I'm very concerned. Uh, I mean, who's not? I'm very concerned with uh, uh, where the country is right now. Uh, and it's not just all about COVID, although that, that's obviously terribly concerning. I'm terribly concerned about especially the impact on the next uh, generation. This uh, crisis has fallen uh, disproportionately on people who are most vulnerable, and that includes women, that includes people of color, and it also includes children. Um, you know, for example, my kids are, are 16 and 14. They missed out on the last semester of school and all the various activities and athletic seasons of last year, and they're missing out on them again uh, the first semester of this year. And it didn't have to be that way, as we previously discussed. Uh, so um, I, think the, I, think the, I think the country um, is... Um, is facing a number of, of existential crises, uh, everything from the economy, from COVID, uh, to climate change, to our relationships with the rest of the world. Um, we are, are living through very interesting times, uh, and that's exhilarating in a certain way, but I'm also, uh, 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 they're turbulent and dangerous times, and I, I hope and trust that our, our country will rise to the occasion as it has in the past. Well, let me, let me wrap up with, uh some very serious choices for you. Uh, what is your favorite dessert? Chocolate pudding pie. Your favorite TV show? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I would have to say, uh, because I've been forced to watch uh, uh, literally hundreds of episodes by my kids in recent years, I'd have to say The Office. <laughs> my kids love The Office. <laughs> favorite movie? 
my favorite movie, um, uh, My Fair Lady with Rex Harrison and Audrey Hepburn. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Movie or book? Um, that's a hard one, Jerry. That, I, I, I like them both very, very much. Um, um, I'd have to say both. I, I can't go with one or the other. I'm sorry. I'm indecisive okay. on that question. Ballet or opera? Ballet. Pie or cake? I just, as I just indicated, it would have to be pie. Beer or wine? Wine. I that I I used to be a beer drinker. I'm not anymore. I I I I, uh, I love wine. I love everything about it. I probably drink too much of it, especially uh, recently in light of all the pressures of the pandemic. Haven't we all? Haven't we all? Haven't we all? It's been <laughs> the pandemic's been great for the booze industry. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thank you, John, for your time. And thank you for listening today. This is Everybody's Business, sponsored by the National Entrepreneur Center. And we're glad you're listening. We'll be right back. If you have a business question that you would like to have answered, or if you would like to suggest a topic for discussion, we would love to hear from you. Just email jerry at hello at nationalec.org. That is hello at nationalec.org. And we're back. Podcast Everybody's Business. I'm your host, Jerry Ross. I have with me the lovely and talented Rachel Madsen. Uh, I always enjoy talking to John Deary. He, he always gives me uh, a new nugget of knowledge or a, a new perspective that I really enjoy. Yeah, it's a great acquaintance to have, Jerry. Keeps you a more well-rounded person, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it, and it also gives me that, that connection in Washington that, you know, sometimes we get so caught up with what's happening here locally that we do need to know what's happening uh, policy-wise in, in Washington that can affect our local businesses in a hurry. For sure. So, I agree. <laughs> uh, always, always enjoy uh, what we get from the guests we interview here. Uh, for final thoughts, uh, we talked earlier about uh, asking for referrals and how some people are embarrassed to do that or some people get a little uncomfortable in asking for referrals. Uh, and it made me think back to, to Mama Ross's book of witty sayings where she would say to me, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. And that wise was words. <laughs> <laughs> very wise words. And, and the meaning was if, if you were just going to sit around and wish about something, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, you, you've got to, you've got to be bold. You've got to sometimes step out and do the things that, that are hard, uh, in order to move yourself forward. And so, uh, rather than sit around and wish about it, we need, uh, all of the listeners to, to realize today that you've just got to reach out, be uncomfortable and do the things that are going to help your business grow. No, I completely agree. That's one of something you can take all through life is just improving from who you were yesterday, not just business, but pretty much everything. That's so. a, and that's a Rachelism. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> improve from her. You were yesterday. I got so, a bumper sticker of that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. That is now trademarked. Look for it on the uh, bumpers around Orlando, Florida. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of Everybody's Business. We invite you to tune in again next week for stimulating conversations, uh, business tips, tactics, and the lovely and talented Rachel Matson. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Till next time, enjoy life. This is not a dress rehearsal.